It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to episode two of the Locked On Reds podcast. This is Jeff Carr, your new host, your cheap seat crony, coming to you from 2019 now, the brand new year. Happy New Year to you, Reds country. Appreciate you downloading and listening to the podcast. Quick reminder, you can subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check us out at LockedOnReds.com, where the podcast is posted, as well as a couple of articles by myself and soon-to-be other writers as well. So what I want to talk about today is the Dodgers and Reds trade where they sent Homer Bailey and a couple of minor leaguers for Alex Wood, Matt Kemp, Yasiel Puig, and Kyle Farmer. And I really want to focus on the first three, Alex Wood, Yasiel Puig, and Matt Kemp. Let's start with Wood. Wood is a great pitcher. Um, Okay, great might be a little embellishing but he is a very good pitcher that the Reds can build a staff around he's coming into Cincinnati off of a year where he had an ERA of 3.6 in 151 innings that's pretty good and the fact that he threw 13 quality starts it's more than any other pitcher on the Reds staff Luis Castillo had 11 but no one else had more than 10 Actually, no one else had more than eight. And Alex Wood also brings a good track record against NL Central opponents. In the 112 innings that he's thrown in his career against NL Central opponents like the Cubs, Cardinals, Brewers, and Pirates, he has a 2.72 ERA. Now, that is a very good stat. I don't know how much you put into ERA. I know there's a lot of sabermetrics that show that ERA itself isn't the whole picture. And really, no one stat is the whole picture. you got to see them all to put it together. But he's successful in other areas. He's had over 100 strikeouts in a total of 27 games. So, you know, pretty good there. And he's a ground ball pitcher. I mentioned this whenever I first I wrote about the trade a few weeks back whenever it first happened. He is the type of guy you want in Grand American Ballpark. His career home runs allowed per nine is less than one. It's .8. So if he were to pitch nine innings, every single time he goes out, he would average less than a home run per start. And he holds on to that against NL Central opponents. In the 27 games that he's pitched against NL Central opponents, he's given up 11 home runs. He is going to be at the top of the Reds rotation, maybe not the ace. Uh, we're hoping that the Reds go out and get an ace-style guy like Dallas Keuchel, maybe trade for Corey Kluber, or maybe even sign Gio Gonzalez. But when it's all said and done, Alex Wood improves the pitching staff very nicely. Next, we move on to Yasiel Puig, and really the biggest draw for him, and I am a stat head. I really do love digging into the numbers and looking at all of the different sabermetrics and all that different stuff, but the biggest draw for Yasiel Puig is not in the numbers. His numbers are pretty good, and I'll get to those in just a second, but Yasiel Puig brings star power to the Reds. Say what you will. We love Joey Votto. We love Scooter Jeanette. We love Eugenio Suarez. Outside the city of Cincinnati, not that many people really get into those guys or really know them. If Joey Votto goes walking on the streets of Las Vegas, I'd say probably, you know, one in five, one in maybe even seven or eight 
people even know who he is, they might kind of give him a side eye or something like, eh, he kind of looks a little familiar. But you see Yasuo Puig, you know who he is. He is one of the most popular players in baseball. He's polarizing, I get that. There are some people who aren't that big a fan of the Reds getting him because they didn't like him in the Dodgers. But here's the deal. Yasiel Puig is the guy that when he's on your team, you love him. He's going to be the flashy, swagger dude in that clubhouse. He's going to be the dude who draws the tickets and just brings everybody to the ballpark to watch him play. He's the kind of guy who can hit three homers in a game. Now, he's also the kind of guy who can strike out four times in a game, give you a a nice little golden sombrero there. But he's not consistently bad. In fact, over the last two years, he's hit 23 homers last year. He hit 28 homers in 2017, and that is playing in the pitcher-friendly Dodger Stadium. Bring him to Great American Ballpark. I cannot wait to see what he does on the launching pad known as the Great American Small Park. And as far as the numbers go, stat geeks around can take a look at his wins above replacement. He had 2.7 wins above replacement last year, 3.7 the year before last whenever he hit those 28 home runs I mentioned. So he's no slouch in that area either. He's coming off a year where he finished with an 820 on-base plus slugging percentage really close to 500 in the slugging percentage category at 494. He even had 63 RBIs, which is a little low for the people that like the RBI statistic. But that just really depends on where he was put in that lineup. And we're not talking about a consistent three or four spot for him due to Cody Bellinger and guys like that who were in those spots. He was probably hitting sixth or seventh in that lineup. He'll probably hit uh, five or six, depending on where David Bell likes to sl- wants to slot him in for the Reds. I'll be interested to see how that plays out. I also would be interested to see if he plays him in center field. He's got the kind of fielding ability to cover center field. Now, he's no Billy Hamilton, but nobody is. Billy is a one-of-a-kind baseball player. He just couldn't get on base. If Billy could have got on base, he'd have been like the MVP of the league. Just couldn't do it. Yasiel Puig, on the other hand, 327 on base percentage last season. I also look at his splits against National League central opponents, kind of like what I did with Alex Wood. He's pretty good in that category, too. When you look at his lowest average for on base against any one of those teams is against the Brewers, and that's 351. So 35% of the time he's getting on base. And that is his lowest mark. His benchmark is against the Cubs. He gets on base at 409 or 40% of the time. So when it comes down to it, I really think he's going to be a great part of this team. And honestly, I am looking for a Yasiel Puig t-shirt as soon as it comes out. I'm going to add that to my collection. I even tweeted at the Reds. I'm like, hey, hit me up whenever you get this out. I definitely want to get my hands on one. So really excited to see him in a Reds uniform in 2019. I think it's going to be a great thing for Cincinnati.
You're listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. This is the second episode of the new era here, hosted by me, Jeff Carr. Uh, looking at the Dodgers and Reds trade, I talked about Alex Wood and Yasiel Puig back in the first segment. Going to take a look at Matt Kemp really quickly here, um, and then also get to um, a topic I want to talk about considering free agent pitchers that the Reds haven't gotten a chance to add to the team but firstly looking at Kemp adding him into the trade it was funny because when I first heard about this trade it was a rumor about a month ago and I thought Matt Kemp really but I was missing something last year he was an all-star don't know if you knew that or not he had 21 homers and a pretty decent average looking here on my favorite website baseballreference.com for the Dodgers he had a 290 batting average in 2018 with 85 RBIs. So he's actually a pretty serviceable outfielder there for the Dodgers. If you add him into the lineup, does he become the everyday right fielder? I don't know. I think you probably platoon him there with Shebler in right field, maybe even platoon him with Winker in left field, make him the fourth outfielder. Now, whether he wants to buy into that, that's up to him. We'll see how spring training rolls along and what sort of things come out of Goodyear, Arizona. And there's also a rumor that he may be thrown into some sort of a deal, maybe to get Corey Kluber or anything like that. I'm definitely on board for that. I mean, if he can bring in an ace, be part of a deal that brings in a a guy like Corey Kluber, then I'm all for that. Corey Kluber was second in the league for least walks per nine he only gave up 1.4 walks per nine anyway that's getting way ahead of ourselves here talking about that we're back to Matt Kemp he's going he's not necessarily going to be the kind of guy that you build your team around but he's also going to be a nice little role player there that fits in I can see him hitting a couple of homers you know probably about 15 to 20 homers here in Great American Ballpark given the right amount of playing time um see him really flourishing in this lineup. Probably not a top four hitter. Somewhere between that five to seven range is where he would fit in nicely in behind Vado and Suarez and whoever's up there at the top of the lineup for the Reds. Really, I think that's going to be a hot topic all season is how David Bell puts in, puts together this lineup. And Matt Kemp is a nice piece in there that can give him a platoon advantage. So to wrap up today's episode, uh, I saw the signing of Yusei Kikuchi by the Seattle Mariners this morning and the amount of money that he got, the years that he got. And it just got me to thinking. I actually wrote a piece about this probably about a month ago, called it Pitching Opportunity Cost. Bob Castellini started off the offseason by making a very poignant, very blanketed statement about the organization and about how they're going to attack this offseason. He said, we're going to get the pitching. And that's great. That really pumped up fans like myself and you listening to this podcast. And we were super excited about that. And then as we saw J.A. Happ, as we saw... Uh, different guys like that coming off the board, we were starting to wonder, all right, when are you getting the pitching? Yusei Kikuchi is one of the guys that I, just reading about the possibilities that the Reds could go after, I kind of had my eye on him. I, I wanted to see if maybe the Reds could draw him in. I thought maybe they could make a run at Kikuchi. With the Mariners signing him to the deal that they did, 
he's getting a close to it's like somewhere between 13 and 14 million dollars a year that is more than I was reading. That's more than I had kind of figured he would get. In fact, I kind of thought he might be getting like Tanner Rourke or even Alex Wood money. Alex Wood, after arbitration, is going to be making something like $9 million, maybe close to $10 million next season. And I thought that was probably a reasonable range for Kikuchi as well. 13 to $14 million is just a lot more than I would have wanted to see the Reds pay. Now you're going to say to me, and I, you know, I, I don't fully disagree with you on this, but money is relative to a baseball team. And you're right. But the point is you don't want to overpay. It's not like you're playing MLB The Show and you've got an unlimited budget that you can just throw money at some make-believe player and they're going to work out. In Kikuchi's case, there was a lot of intrigue as to what he could be. There are stats as to what he has done in the Japanese Baseball League, and it's pretty awesome. But when it comes down to it, how is that going to translate to Major League Baseball? You look at guys like... Daisuke Matsuzaka, and you look at Hideo Nomo. I mean, Hideo Nomo was a really good pitcher, but, you know, Daisuke and guys like that that come over to the league and just, you know, they're okay. They're they're not going to win you a championship, but they're also not going to be a reason that you are out of contention. I guess, I guess what I'm really getting around the bush is it, he's getting a lot more money than I thought he'd get. And because of that, I'm okay with the Reds missing on him. I'm okay that the Reds missed on J.A. Happ. You know, I know that was one of the guys that a lot of people said that the Reds could go after and maybe make him their ace. I thought that the Yankees, obviously, with their deep pockets, they were able to just lure him back. And they gave him that third-year option. I'm sure the Reds were in the camp of teams that were offering him a two-year deal. And the Yankees were able to come in and offer him a two-year deal with a third-year option because they have that kind of financial flexibility. The Reds didn't want to tie him up for more than two years, and they shouldn't have tied him up for more than two years. So I'm totally okay with that. When you look at the deals that these guys are getting, it's not just about, oh, hey, the Reds didn't get this guy. It's about how the Reds are allocating their resources to acquire these guys. Tanner Rourke was acquired for a minor leaguer that the Reds just didn't really have much interest in in Tanner Rainey. So they, they traded something they didn't want, and they got something they needed. The Reds traded Homer Bailey and two lower-level prospects. Now, I know they were higher ranked in the system, but they were still in single A or lower than that. And they brought back Alex Wood, something they needed, a great pitcher. And they bring back Poeg and Kemp. They get outfield depth. They trade something they didn't need, and they got something back that they absolutely needed and they've done a really good job of just taking that opportunity cost and playing the system to their advantage so when you look at a signing like you say Kikuchi that wouldn't have been playing to their advantage they would have had to overpay to get him and who knows how he would have turned out anyway so I I'm okay with the fact that they miss on this guy or they miss on that guy. If I look at the deal and I'm like, you know what? It just doesn't make sense for the Reds at this time to pay this kind of money. And I'm happy with what the front office has done. Now, that being said, I'm still waiting for them to get that ace. Let's see if they can bring in a Keiko or a Kluber or a Gio Gonzalez or something like that. Good news is there's still time for that. That'll wrap us up for episode two of the Jeff Carr-led Locked on Reds podcast. I appreciate you downloading. I appreciate you listening. We're going to be more of a regular schedule now. I have recorded this um, New Year's Day night 
it's a lot going on there. New Year's Day night, and I'm releasing it late, uh, almost early in the morning on Wednesday, January 2nd. That's going to be kind of about how I do it. I'm going to record it in the evening, release it at night. That way you have all day to listen to it. So officially, what's up, guys, on Wednesday, and I will see you on Thursday. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.